Thank you so much and good morning. That bad, huh? I understand. <laughs> well, I've come all the way from Michigan to bring you really good news. You no longer need to send your children to college in the desert. They are now free to leave the wilderness. They are now free to attend Cornerstone University in the paradise of Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I thought you'd be encouraged about that. I'd love to talk to you about our great school, um, but we're going to go right to the word. Uh, so let me tell you, just go to www.cornerstone.edu. And if you're going to college or have kids are, it's got to be on the list. Okay, that's my personal opinion. And it's a delight to be here with you. Uh, you know, living in college world, being with these great students, I'm, I'm very much away, aware that we, we live in an amazing high-tech world. Uh, the communication capacity today is just dazzling. You know, Twittering, texting. I actually saw two students walking across our campus not talking to each other, just texting each other in conversation. <laughs> not really. <laughs> Facebooking, MySpacing. I mean, it's just unbelievable, the communication capacities that we have today. But I've come all the way, actually, from Michigan to tell you that as marvelous as all of that is, it doesn't begin to compare with the communication power that is found in this book. And the reason I want to tell you that is because in the face of all this high-tech dazzle stuff, if we're not careful, this book may seem a little flat, uh, may seem a little like old school. <laughs> I mean, the most exciting thing happening in my Bible is that there's red print in part of it. It doesn't buzz, it doesn't, no pictures. But if you're thinking that, it is time to change your mind. Because this is the most dramatic, powerful, wireless communication from the Almighty God that holds so much power, no high-tech advance will ever move past it. And the wonderful thing is that you're microchipped for it. A very important spiritual thing happened, supernatural thing happened when you accepted Christ. God came to dwell in you, in the person of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. And in dwelling in you, he has given you this, his revelation, and the Holy Spirit literally brings it to life, quickens it, and applies it to your life. I mean, how many, I'm sure some of you have had this experience where I've just been reading the Bible, and, and it's like, like, it emerges, the truth emerges, wraps itself around my heart and around my mind in supernatural ways and speaks to me right where I live. It's like being texted by God. It's, it's a marvelous thing. Now, I've been preaching God's word for a few years and I, some, something interesting happens every once in a while. After a sermon, someone will come to me and say, you know, Joe, when you said, quote, unquote, I have to tell you, it was just what I needed. So I press the replay button in my mind, and I'm going like, I never said that. <laughs> and I think integrity means that you say, look, I never said that. Scratch the blessing, all right? <laughs> of course not. 
Because I know what happened. There was this marvelous communication miracle that happened. The word of God went out and the Holy Spirit took it, formed it and framed it for a personal application to that life, ran it through the grid of their existence and dropped it spot on in their heart, just what they needed to hear. That's how powerful this book is. And so I've come this morning in the midst of all the stunning high-tech world that we live in to draw your heart back again to this great book, to encourage you to love this book. I, um, I've given my life to this book, and I do have a deep love for it, and I guess I, I, want, I want you to share in that with me. It's kind of like being married. There's a dynamic in married that's a little weird. It's like, why does my wife always want me to love everything she loves? Like, I don't know what you think about eggplant. <laughs> so let's just say I don't like eggplant. Let's just say. <laughs> I don't like eggplant. <laughs> now, I have to tell you, I don't think God ever had a bad day. But if he did... Eggplant is exhibit A. That's why you didn't know that. <laughs> so let's say we're out to dinner and my wife's reveling in this wonderful eggplant dishes. And why is this yours? Joe, take a bite. No, take a bite. I don't want to take it. Take, do I have a witness, guys, on this? You know, am I there? Take a, you know, because there's something about our love relationship she wants me to share in this. And, and I just want you to share with me in, in a love for God's word. If you're wondering, what on earth does this have to do with Palm Sunday? Well, thank you for asking. A lot. Jesus Christ was the revelation of God in the flesh. And he stunned his world with the authority of his teaching and its, its uniqueness and its life-relatedness. People sat, sat just in, in rapt attention of every word that rolled off his, his tongue. He came and stunned our world with the power of God as the, the lame walked and the blind saw and dead people lived and, and 5,000 were fed from a little kid's lunch. I mean, what a jaw dropper is that? And, and he was the revelation of God in the flesh and he gripped everybody's hearts. And when he came in for the triumphal entry, throngs met him to celebrate him as the king. And when they took their coats off and laid it in the path, it was a, a normal symbol of their surrender to the king, giving themselves to the king. And taking the palm branches was taking the palm branches and waving them in a symbol of victory, that the victorious king has arrived. And he made his triumphal entry like that. And now he's in heaven. And now he's given us the revelation of God, not in the flesh, but in a book, in this book is the revelation of the Almighty God. And when you love this book, you'll take your coats off and lay it in, them in its path in a happy surrender to this book. You will take the palm branches of your enthusiasm and wave them in to celebrate the victory of this book. And my prayer is that this book could have a triumphal entry into every single one of our hearts. So, let's talk about that. Open your Bibles with me, if you would please, to Psalm chapter 1, a passage that I think 
draws us back to the book in a wonderful way. Now, you're probably aware that the Psalms are the Jewish hymnal. There's 150 songs in this book that the Jews used to sing. And I'm going like, poor David, God showed up one day and said, I've got an assignment for you, write 150 hymns. Like, what a wilting assignment that would be. Like, I don't know 150. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you that this was not an assignment to write a hymnal. These hymns are a collection of the responses of real people who experienced God in a real way. Oftentimes, after a major supernatural victory in battle, they'd write a hymn and they would sing this hymn to God and it made it into the hymnal. All of these hymns are expressions of personal experience with the Almighty God. And I love the fact that the first hymn is all about David's delight in God's Word. And he's going to ask us to love it with him like he loves it. Psalm chapter 1, do you have it? In Psalm 1, the psalmist begins by saying, Blessed is the man. Now I know that in some of your uh, translations, it might say happy. And I'm really glad that my translation, the correct one, <laughs> says blessed. Because it's much more than happy. I mean, believe me, I like to be happy. I'm all for happiness. But, but compared to what he is talking here, is happiness is just the surface. This is a very deep declaration. He is saying, Blessed is the person who in some way connects to the book. Uh, and when he says blessed is the man, it's interesting in the Hebrew, the word is for a godly man, a godly person, which initially tells me right off the bat that, bat that there is some direct connect between a blessed life and a godly life. And then he continues, blessed is the godly person and he tells us where blessedness is not found, who walks in the counsel of the wicked, who listens to the advice of people who have disengaged themselves with God, uh, or stands in the way of sinners, literally, who lives like people who have disengaged themselves from God, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Uh, he doesn't settle in with people who scoff and mock at God. You're probably aware that we live in a world where dissing God and God's people and God's ways and God's book is wide open sport. Uh, that God's people and his book and his truth are, we're the only commodity not protected by the PC cops. Seriously. We live in a world that scoffs and mocks and says, if you really want the blessed life, then you don't do it by listening to people who've disconnected from God or living like they do or joining them in the disdain for God's word. But, he says, his delight, <laughs> I love the word delight. We're going to talk about it in just a minute. Cause I just, it's such an upward, isn't it? It's like, like, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, I think immediately you've got to stop and and realize that our tendency as fallen people, and we are all fallen, is to see the, the law of God communicated in his book is sometimes the thing that takes the fun out of our living. Uh, that as though God were some 
old-timer in the sky who didn't want anybody to ever enjoy life. So the Trinity on a rather boring day says, what will we do today? And I don't know, let's, let's make up Ten Commandments to take the fun out of everybody's living. <laughs> how about if we do that? Uh, you know, it's amazing how we tend to think that God's law is confining, that it is, is restricting, that it somehow works against my happiness and joy. Nothing could be further from the truth said that the blessedness is to delight in God's law. Now, what he means by God's law, he uses the Hebrew word here for Torah, And the Torah was the section of God's word for the Jews that were instructional. God in the Old Testament instructed them for every aspect of their lives, some of them to great detail. I'm reading, <laughs> I'm reading through the book of Leviticus. Let's hear it for me. I, or, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm reading through the Bible this year. And I've made it through the book of Leviticus. Let's hear it for me. How about that? I got all the way through. And I don't know if he put it in there to keep us from reading through the Bible in a year or not. I'm not sure. But, but, but God has all these details of life that differentiate us. And so what he is talking about here is the instructional aspects of God's word. And the thing that I love is that God's word instructs me for every area of my life. In God's word, I learn how to do money. I, I learn how to do a good day at the office. I learn how to do marriage. I, in God's word, uh, there are clear instructions about how to do parenting. In God's word, I learn how to navigate through the troubled waters of suffering. In God's word, I learn how to do my enemies. The wonderful thing is there isn't anything in this book that escapes any single aspect of our life. And when the psalmist says, who delights in the law of the Lord, it's the Torah, it's the instructional aspects that, that guide us through our lives. That's what he's after here. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. And on this law... He meditates day and night. And so what's the outcomes of all of this? This is a marvelous metaphor in verse 3. He says, he is like a tree planted by the rivers of water. We have friends who have a place in Montana. And driving into their place, the landscape is very barren. I know you wouldn't know anything about barren landscapes here. But... <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop that. So, you know, the, the landscape it has its own beauty, seriously, in its barrenness. And, and I remember last summer visiting them, driving into their place, and there's a river that runs through their property, great trout fishing river. And down in the valley, in the midst of all of this barrenness, I saw this river with lush green trees following its path, that in the midst of a dry and barren place, you can... You can not only survive, but you can thrive. And the psalmist has actually pictured this as this tree is planted at the fork of two rivers. There's an abundance of supply here. And the tree puts its roots down into the water and takes nourishment. And he says, its leaves do not wither. <laughs> you know, when your life becomes heated and, and withering when you are in, in an environment in which anyone else would wither, <laughs> your, 
Your, your leaves don't wither. You remain strong and prosperous because of God's word. Your fruit bears in its season. You live a productive, fruitful life. And the psalmist concludes about this green tree taking its source from the river, that whatever it does, it shall prosper. And he's not talking here about material prosperity, because that comes and goes. That a lot of us have material prosperity, and underneath it all, our soul is impoverished. He's talking about soul prosperity here. And so he says, if you delight in the instructional ways of God, you'll be like that tree. So he's got my attention. So let's let this passage unwrap itself as we seek to delight afresh in God's word. Go back to verse 1 with me. He said, blessed is the man. What does it mean to be blessed by delighting in God's law? Well, the Hebrew word for blessed literally means straight, as opposed to crooked, bent, meandering, that there is something very straight in your life, something There's a nuance to the Hebrew word of being well-organized. Marty and I lived at one point in a neighborhood, and all of the houses had side-loading garages. And so our, our neighbor, his garage faced my garage. Our driveways went in with the median strip in the middle with trees. You turned right into my garage, you would turn left into his garage. I have to tell you something about my neighbor. I couldn't stand the guy. (laughs) No, I actually could, but he he had a problem. I have always thought that God invented garages as a place for me to put everything that I had no idea where I was going to put. So my garage ends up after a few months (laughs) just totally trashed, you know, junk everywhere and boxes everywhere, nothing in the right place. This guy was obsessed about garageness. (laughs) I mean, he literally painted his garage floor twice a year. He had everything hanging in its place, the rakes, the shovels, everything was in perfect order. The guy was obsessive compulsive. And and when he would wash, this is true, when he would wash his car in the driveway, he would air dry the car with his leaf blower. Seriously. So I'm telling you, I kept my garage door shut. Now, I have to say that even a guy like me finally has had it with the messy garage. So periodically, I go out on a Saturday and I devote the whole Saturday to cleaning out my garage. And I throw a lot of stuff away, and I have a place for every rake and every shovel, and I wash the garage floor, and I have a place for everything, everything in its place. And by 4.30 in the afternoon, I step back, and I'm going like, yes. Like, that is so cool. Do I have a witness here? Does anybody know the joy of finally getting it all cleaned up? And and you just want to leave the garage door open for three months for everybody to see what a cool garage you have. That's exactly what this word blessed is all about. That down deep inside, everything is okay. Everything is straight. Everything is in place. The clutter of the guilt that haunts us, the 
clutter of regrets by doing life on our own terms, the, the dustiness, the stodginess of being about life in material world, the, all of that is just gone. And, and down deep inside, everything is great. It's okay. You got an open garage door policy. Anybody can come in and look at your heart whenever. There's nothing there to hide. That's the blessed life. To be able to put your head on the pillow at night and just fall right to sleep. To wake up at three in the morning and fall right back to sleep because those bad things aren't chasing you through the middle of the night. That's what the psalmist meant, that we would be blessed when we delight in God's word. Now, the, the psalmist immediately wants to warn us about something, that there is, if you connect with those who have disengaged from God, with the wicked, with the ungodly, in their advice, in the way that they live, in their attitudes toward God, you will not be blessed like that. I guess we could tell of many, many instances in Scripture and many instances in our own lives and in the lives of our friends who have proven that point in a very sad way. Oscar Wilde, famous British playwright, who had all the fame of the world, to this very day remains a famous literary star. At the end of his life, having given himself to everything he wanted, he writes this sad report of his life. Let me read it to you. He said, the gods had given me almost everything, but I let myself be lured into long spells of senseless and sensual ease. I surrounded myself, he writes, with the smaller natures and the meaner minds. I became the spendthrift of my own genius, and I wasted an eternal youth in a curious joy. Tired of being on the heights, I deliberately went to the depths in search of some new sensation. What the paradox was to me in the sphere of thought, perversity became to me in the sphere of passion. Desire at the end was a malady or a madness or both. I grew careless of the lives of others, he writes. I took pleasure where it pleased me, and then I passed on. And now listen to what he says. I forgot that every little action of the common day makes or unmakes character. And that therefore, what one who has done in secret chamber has some day to cry aloud on the housetop. I ceased to be the Lord over myself. I was no longer the captain of my soul and did not know it. I allowed pleasure to dominate me. I ended in horrible disgrace. There is only one thing left for me now, he writes, and that is absolute humility. And he writes this from jail at the end of his life. I think maybe God was on to something when he said, you know, the blessed life is not one who disengages from God. But he goes on to say that the truly blessed life is, is in the life that delights in the law of the Lord. So what would it mean to delight in God's law, in his instructional ways for us? The word in the Hebrew literally means to be mentally and emotionally preoccupied with. Let me say that again. It means to be mentally and 
emotionally preoccupied with. We, always ha- we all have delight points in our lives. You know, that big vacation is coming up that just you're taken with it. You think about it all the time. You plan for it all the time. The, we, we've all had them. Maybe, maybe it's, let me take you back to high school world. Do any of you remember high school world? And let's just say that you're in high school and you all of a sudden notice this guy, Bob. And, I mean, he's, he becomes the hunk of your heart. And, but he never notices you, never pays any attention to you. But your heart's just taken with Bob, you know. And you change the way you go to classrooms and, you know, to be right where he passes by, like, hey, Bob, how are you? And no response. You just can't get him out of your mind or your heart. And so one evening you're sitting at home watching TV, you know, chewing gum, I got the re- you have the remote, and the phone rings. Your mom answers the phone. And she says, hey, Barbara, Bob's on the phone. Bob's on the phone. And and you pick up the phone. Hi, Bob. Uh, Hi, Barbara. I I know we've only met a couple of times, but, you know, I just want want to know if maybe could could we go out on a date Friday night? Well, I've got to check my social calendar here. No, like, God, don't let me have a heart attack right now, please. You know, like, sure, Bob. I'll be great. You hang up the phone. And then you go back and just hit the remote again and, you know, keep, no, you don't. Yeah. Mom, Bob called. He's taking me out Friday night. We got to go shopping. I need new clothes. You know, and like your whole life is all now about Bob. And the next morning you go to class and it's your favorite professor. And you always sit in rapt attention. Not this morning. You're sitting there drawing hearts on your notebook. <laughs> me and Bob, arrow through it, drops of blood coming down from it. You know, like, <sighs> that's what the psalmist means about delight. To be thoroughly taken with the word of God. Uh, To be mentally and emotionally preoccupied with this thing that will bring the blessedness of his ways to your life. Blessed is the person who responds like that to God's word. And... You know, I I could tell you a lot of ways that I think would make you want to delight in the Word of God. Uh, James tells us that the Bible is like a mirror, and it shows me myself for what I really am. By the way, how many of you looked in a mirror this morning? How many of you did something about it? Thank you very much. This would be a horrible moment for me, looking at all of you. If, and you wouldn't like, I mean, I get championship bedheads in the morning. Seriously. I, I'm the king of bedheads. You know, you look in the mirror, you see yourself for what you really are. And God then leads you to do something about it. I've, I have to tell you that self-deceit is a horrible thing. It is a horrible thing. And, and when I open God's word, I discover something. And you discover something. We're not as cool as we think we are. Because God's word reveals ourselves as we really are. How often that's happened to me and I've seen myself. And, and I've desired to repent and, and to change and move out of my self-deception. Wow, that would be worth delighting. You're, you're, very, you're delighted you have mirrors in your house. 
And I'm delighted I have the word of God. God's word says that it's like a two-edged sword piercing to the very thoughts and motives of our hearts. You know, we, we throw ourselves out into life with all the facades. You know, uh, check out my zip code, check out my area code, check out my car, check out my business card. I, I, I have to tell you that God's never impressed with that kind of stuff. That he pierces through all of that. And he, he moves right into the depths of your heart and, and reveals the very motives of why we do what we do and, and the very th- broken thought patterns of, of why we think the way we think. And then he remolds them and gets us on the right track. You know, I have to tell you that it's like divine surgery. And, and you've experienced this in your life. Sometimes it's very brutal. Sometimes it's like God has taken this wireless communication to me and put me in a full Nelson and slammed me against the wall and so said, Stoll, look at you. And I've desperately needed that. I can delight in that kind of stuff. Jesus said that, that the word of God is like a seed that falls, according to Luke, into a good and noble heart and takes root and then grows and bears the fruit of righteousness to the glory of God. The psalmist has told us that the word of God is like a lamp onto my feet and a light onto my path that presupposes that I live in a very dangerous and dark world and left to myself, I'll trip up and I'll fall and and suddenly the spotlight of this book spots my path and keeps me safe and gives me a sense of direction. I could just, I have to tell you that there's a lot of reasons that I delight in God's word. But I also need to tell you that the psalmist chose none of those. He takes us deeper. He said, blessed is the person who delights in the instructional ways of the Lord. And he chooses the Hebrew name for God that is Yahweh, which is our covenant God. The Hebrews had lots of names for God. Elohim, the great God of the universe. He might have said, who delights in the law of Elohim. And that would be then very intimidating because this is the great God of the universe that's now texting me and telling me what to do. It's like, yes, sir, whatever kind of response. Like, it's my duty to... It's better than that. He could have talked about the El Shaddai, the almighty, powerful God. And suddenly I could feel intimidated by his power and live in fear of his, of his response to me. No, the psalmist says that we delight in the law of the Lord. This is Yahweh. This is the word for the covenant God. In Israel, Yahweh was the lover of their souls. The one who on his own volition had forged a covenant with the nation and he would be their God, their protector, their provider and nothing that they could do could break the covenant that he had with them. Says the God, the Yahweh God of enduring, ongoing love for his people. And suddenly when I realize that the God who texts me in this book is the God who loves me and who cares for me and who has my best in mind.
Now suddenly my heart is ready to delight. It's not a duty or a power move or an intimidation moment. It's something about a relationship with the God who loves me and cares about me. Years ago, we lived in a neighborhood, one of those kind of compact neighborhoods, where the best place to play ball was in the street. And I can remember one night, my little five-year-old Joe comes up to me, and he's got his baseball bat after supper and his baseball cap on. And he says, Dad, he says, I'm going out to play ball. I said, great, where are you going to go? I'm going in the street with my friends. And being a loving father and wanting to make the best for his life, I said, is that what you really want to do? Yeah, that's what I want to do. (laughs) I said, great. And I pat him on the bum and send him out to play ball in the street because I'm such a great loving dad. Right? No. See, because I know there's danger out there he knows nothing about. The kid is clueless about the problems of playing ball in the street. I happen to love this boy. I don't want his body integrated into the grill of a Mack truck. So I just gather him in and say, Joe, you may never understand this, but I love you. You can't play ball in the street. Uh, There's danger out there that you don't understand. I say, now if you want to play ball, let's all get in the SUV. I'll take all your friends out to play ball in the park where it's safe and where it's okay. That's fine to play ball, but not here. Now, why did I do that? Because I loved him. I was his Yahweh. I was his covenant father. I cared about him. And so when the psalmist tells me to delight in the law, it's it's the instructions from someone who really loves me and cares for me, who proved it on the cross when he died for me. Now suddenly my heart is ready to delight. And then sequentially, when you delight in something, you meditate on it all the time. So he says, who delights in the law of the Lord, meditates on it day and night. That the the word of God, the Hebrew word for meditate, by the way, is a very interesting word. It's kind of like like running over and over and over and over again. It's like a a drone sound that's always there. That the word of God is always present and prevalent and you're thinking about it. And as you're moving towards intersections of decision points in your life, the word of God is there processing the moment with you. It, It is always there. And you're embracing it, meditating on it, which means you have to put it in there. I have friends who play bridge. And they tell me, we play bridge to keep our brains fresh. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) I would say, why don't you get a biblical life? Why don't you memorize scripture to keep your brain fresh? Why don't you take what you delight in, in the law of the Lord, and just pour it in there and put it in there. And as you memorize it, then mull it over and over. Stop listening to the radio when you're driving all the time and take that crazy CD out of your CD player and just drive along mulling over the Word of God, bringing it back to you again and again. It's fodder for your soul. It's the key to the blessedness of your life. And then when you're tempted or when you suffer, when you... When you're at a decision point, it is all there for you. And you meditate on it day and night. You memorize it. You visualize your place in that text as you're remembering it. You're, you think about you have to forgive somebody, and so you've got passages on that, and you see yourself in the passages, and you're praying about how you would apply it. It's just a wonderful thing. 
It's a wonder we are not alone anymore in this dark and troublesome world. Now, what I find fascinating is that this text never says, and obey the instructions of the Lord. <laughs> See, if I were writing it, I would have said, blessed is my blah, 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 and he obeys the word of God. See, because I grew up in church world that was all about the rules and all about obedience and buck up and be good for Jesus kind of world. Is there anybody here who ever remembers those kind of days? And it becomes obligatory and it becomes a project and there's not a lot of passion in it and, and pretty soon it gets a little boring and troublesome and it's really easy to bail. That's just fascinating. He never says obey it. Why doesn't he ever say obey it? This is not rocket science. If you delight in the word of God, and if you are meditating on it day or night, guess what will happen? You will live it out. Now, what a wonderful approach this is, that this is the law of my loving Savior, and I delight in it, and I meditate it, and the outcome is that I do it. And my life, then, is blessed, straight, open garage door policy. I sleep well at night. Everything's okay down deep inside. And it becomes like that tree planted by the rivers of water. Welcome to the joy of loving God's word. Now, how many of you remember back in TV world when we used to have those applause meters? Just us old timers who'd remember that. Do we have anybody here who remembers that? <laughs> for, for us young folk, they used to actually have TV programs. You win a prize for who gets the most applause. And it's a big applause meter. All right, so we have a meter here about our, our feelings about God's word. Way over here, it registers on despising God's word. Say, so, oh, I would never despise God's word. I just want you to know that every time we do the Jonah thing and diss God's word and say no and go our own way. We are despising God's word. Some of us don't despise God's word. We just approach it with a measure of doubt. Uh, now, we'll always doubt. You know, we're broken. We're frail. We're fearful. Sometimes the word of God ushers us into areas where we feel vulnerable and forgiving someone who has offended us or saying no to a, an opportunity in business world, which we could make a lot more money, but integrity in God's word demands that we remain fair and uncompromised, and then we fear the competition is going to get ahead of us, and it's just really easy just to kind of be immobilized by doubt. Some of us maybe register up a duty. It's my duty to know the word of God and obey they're going to ask me questions at my accountability group. <laughs> then maybe some, keep the meter going. Maybe some of us get over here to devotion. Like, like we do, we appreciate God's word. Uh, we have a sense of devotion to it. We know it's important. And we know it's probably good for us. And so we're devoted to God's word. The psalmist takes us all the way across the meter to delight. And welcomes us to the joy of being people who delight in the law of God. I welcome you to that this morning. My freshman year in college, I uh, spotted this girl on campus who was gorgeous. I mean, seriously gorgeous. And I'm going, a woman like that needs protection. <laughs> 
<laughs> so so I, I said to her, I said, uh, hey, Marty, how about, uh, how about if I be your bodyguard? How would that be? <laughs> and she hired me. We started dating. We got married four years later, but during college, there were two summers when we were apart. This was pre-text world, pre-email world. It was way back in snail mail world. And I was flat broke most of the time, so I couldn't afford a lot of long-distance telephone calls. So every day I went to the mailbox and to see if there's a love letter there from Marty for me. And on the days it was there, it was such a great day. I'd open up that letter and read through it. And then I'd read through it again. You know, several hours later, I'd go back to it and read through it again. It happened all summer. I, just, I was just delighted. You know, I'd read between the lines. I'd read it slow. I'd read it fast. I'd you know, try to milk out every single nuance of what she was saying, what's going on in her life, how she feels about me. For two summers, we did that. I have a box of those love letters in a, in a closet at home. I have to tell you, I haven't looked at them for years. Because I don't need to. I live with her. I experience her love. She experiences my love. The day's going to come when you don't need this anymore. Because you'll be with him face to face. Amen? You won't need this. You will be in the full, joyful experience of the love of your God. But until then, until then, what a precious treasure this is. And what a joy to embrace it and delight in it that I might be blessed and know how to live from this Yahweh God who texts me with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. So on this Palm Sunday, when we remember the revelation of God in the flesh who is celebrated by the masses, who threw their coats in his way as a sign of their willful, happily surrender to the king, who waved the palm branches in victory for the victorious march of the king, who hailed him as their own. We too now take this, the revelation of God in our hands and lay down our lives in happy surrender and lift the palm branches of the celebration and enthusiasm of our own hearts to celebrate the victory that is found in this book. And we'll do that until we go home and we don't need it anymore. Amen and amen. Welcome to the joy of loving God's word. Let's stand together. For our benediction, let me read the great doxology at the end of the book of Jude, where we read, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. Amen and amen.